Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, a pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I almost forgot what I'm supposed to say after there, so that just, I hope that's not a, a precursor to how the show is going to go, but I'm sure it's not because we have a wonderful guest today. But before we get to her, let me make some announcements. Last week, I recorded a bonus podcast, so those of you who download uh, the show automatically through, excuse me, through iTunes have probably already noticed that. Kelly Nelson, who is a wonderful friend of mine and a fabulous developmental interventionist, and we used to work together a while ago, and we continued our friendship and our professional relationship, uh, was kind enough to do a show kind of off schedule about uh, her back to school tips and she has a darling Facebook page called play uh, playing is learning and then colon Kelly Nelson so her name is in there and she did such a great article that I thought was so timely for those of us who have toddlers who are starting preschool for the very first time or even more seasoned moms who just need some better ideas so she did that show with me last Thursday so if you have not listened to that show yet Go back and listen to that because she shared some great tips. I've gotten super feedback from so many people on how much they enjoyed Kelly. And uh, so I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And let me just mention, if you uh, don't know about automatically subscribing to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast, you can do that through iTunes. It's free. It's super easy. You can get it sent to one of your iDevices. So, that's about all the technical information I have about that. So you can just check that out on your own. But it's a great way to stay up to date with shows and you don't have to go through the hassle of um, getting on teachmetotalk.com's website or blog talk radio or however else you would do it. And I know there are some other services that offer automatic downloads for podcasts too because I've had other people tell me about it. So check that out so that you can make listening to the show as easy and as uh, problem-free as you can do it. All right, that was the first announcement. Secondly, I'm getting so many emails about when is your course going to be out on DVD, and that that course is the first one that I did that I premiered in 2010. It's early speech-language development, taking theory to the floor, and I've given it all over the country, but I'm so excited now to, to be able to have it on DVD, and it is still in a couple of my peer reviewers' hands. They've got to get that information back to me, but as soon as it's back to me, I'll pass it on to ASHA, which is the American Speaking Hearing Association, and it's the national organization that gives a continuing education of credits or approvals to speech pathologists. And so once it gets back from ASHA, it will be for sale, and I hope that that's in the month of September 2013, in case you're listening um, not now, in case you're listening to this years from now. So uh, check that out, and I want to go ahead and say, those of you who are emailing me, it's coming soon, I promise, and it's um, it's a great course, and I'm really, really proud of it. All right, let's move on to our guest today. We have a wonderful mom who's going to talk with us. She's in kind of a unique situation. She has a little guy who is a 29-weeker, and in case you're not the uh, parent of a premature kid, that's preemie speak or, you know, premature 
um, kind of that terminology, and that means, you know, again, he didn't go full term. He was born in her 29th week of pregnancy, and she lives in a state that a child it doesn't really qualify for early intervention services, even with an extreme prematurity diagnosis like that. And so she needs some new ideas for him, and his adjusted age now is 15 months, so that early toddler period. And she sent me this cutest email about him, and so I asked her if she would be on the show, and she agreed, and I'm so glad to have you here today, Julia. How are you? Oh, well, thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show. Um, I, like I said in the email, I just discovered you very recently, um, probably maybe six weeks ago or so, and I've just been absorbing, teach me to talk, your podcast, <laughs> all the old ones that I could relate to, and, and your old therapy tips of the week and just everything I could get my hands on. So thank you, first of all, so much for everything that you do. And um, thank you, too, for having me on the show today. Well, I was excited um, to have you. I'm glad you sent me that email about a month ago. And mm -hmm. so your real question with that, well, first of all, give us some background on your little boy and then right. some background kind of on your life and then we'll sure. go from what your question was and then just kind of move through everything that's happened since then and what new concerns might be. And then I have a, I do want to kind of address prematurity in general, but let's let you talk about him first and then I'll okay. kind of do my blah, blah, sort of academic stuff about Okay. Great. I love I love the blah blah academic stuff. So that's great. Um well, <laughs> my little boy Jack is like you said he was born 11 weeks early and um spent a couple of months in the NICU and of course I was warned about all the things that could happen with um preemies that early. Right. And and um you know, all kinds of possible sensory issues and and just everything. Well, um, Jack, he was born 18 months ago, and like you said, he's, his corrected age is about 15 months. Okay. He has really just surprised and surpassed in so many ways. I mean, he's always been super strong. He was an early walker. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Wonderful fine and gross motor skills. I mean, no, no issues mm -hmm. at all with the yes, exception. I'm sorry. Did he have Say that again? Problems? No, feeding never. Problems? Um, I mean, right. he had the normal preemie stuff. I mean, in the NICU, you yeah. know, of course he had to learn how to eat um, the, the right. old-fashioned way, and but he got it. And and um, mm -hmm. I've never noticed any sensory aversions. I mean, I, all these things that That's that right. I've been on the lookout for. But the big exception, of course, is this language delay. Um, at this point, he, well, I noticed when he was a baby, when he was maybe nine or, t well, about nine months old, he wasn't doing repetitive babbling yet, like ba 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 ba. He came out with a few mamas, but that was about it. And I kept raising concerns with his pediatrician, and I also mm -hmm. had him evaluated at six months actual age and about 12 months, well, more like 13 months, and mm -hmm. specifically raised my concerns about is he going to be speech delayed because he's not doing X, Y, and Z. And they right. evaluated him, and they said, oh, he's right on track for his adjusted age. 
Well, Mm -hmm. I knew that he wasn't, and I kind of pushed the point. But they they insisted, nope, he's he's right on track. He's well within the range. But of course, we know that that range is a pretty big range. And I don't. Yes. Yes, and I I know you've. I talk about that all the time, and let me just say it for new listeners, and especially Mm -hmm. for speech language pathologists, we often get so accustomed to children being on the latter end of milestones that we don't really think about what milestones really are, and we don't have a milestone listed on any checklist for development or any test unless 90% of all children have already achieved that skill at a certain age range. So even when we might tell a mom, well, he's a little behind, it really means he's functioning in the bottom 10% of all children, for all children that same child's age. And again, sometimes speech pathologists think about the the milestones as an average age when it's not that. And I don't think parents know that either. And sometimes pediatricians are even a little leery of saying he's behind with the kid who is even in the ballpark of meeting a milestone. So mm-hmm. I can see how at six months and at 13 months, if he's making any noise at all, a pediatrician yes. or even a speech pathologist might blow that off and say, oh, he's young, he's little, he was premature, and he's a boy. Don't worry about him. <laughs> and kind of exactly. dismiss your concerns. Yeah, yeah, so I can totally That's right. see how that would happen. Okay. Yeah, All right. So and you've been really smart about this and really uh, on the ball. Well, I the way I saw it, okay, I'm not getting any help from his pediatrician or from therapists who are supposed to be helping him. So I considered myself his speech therapist. I mean, I decided to take on that role and educate myself um, and do everything that I could to get him up to speed. Of course, the big challenge is (laughs) we have another baby in the house, um, a surprise bonus baby (laughs) who was unplanned but wonderful, Um, and he is six months old, and he actually also happened to be a preemie, but he he made it closer to 33 weeks. And, you know, it's interesting, um, obviously we're calling about my, talking about my toddler, but one of the things that kind of sent up a red flag with me about Jack, my toddler, is that I've realized even in the last few weeks that the baby is babbling with more complicated sounds and more vowels and consonants than than Jack has been. So I know something is going on. And Jack is a bright little boy, so I know he can get there, but he's not getting there on his own. So I want to give him every bit of help that I possibly can. Well, again, I just applaud you for being so on top of this because lots of moms really take the advice of well-intentioned pediatricians to say things like, we already talked about, you know, he's a boy, he's premature, he's already a little bit noisy, he's smart, let's not worry about him. And then they end up with a pretty minimally verbal three-year-old and they're wondering what the heck happened. And so, again, congratulations for being on the ball. And in spite of your uh, overwhelming challenges at home, back-to-back babies are pretty hard. 
(laughs) And imagine the challenge that you have on a day-to-day basis to make sure that you're giving both of those individual children what they need from you. And so, again. Oh, yeah. Especially this first. Yes, it really is. It's getting easier now. But um, those first few months, my newborn had colic pretty bad, and so oh, I my yeah. my attention and energy was focused on trying to keep him happy. And so I feel sure. like I shortchanged my toddler Jack during those months, and so I kind of blame myself um, in a lot of ways um, because we also we weren't doing things like, I mean, he's never gone to daycare, so um, which. I don't want him necessarily in daycare if he doesn't have to be, but that also means he has had not a lot of exposure to other children um, other yeah. than, you know, the occasional play date. And um, we're getting more involved in play groups and that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that seeing other little little children his age or slightly older modeling these things that he sees mommy modeling is going to really right. help things click. Well, uh, but I'm not going to count on that. <laughs> but most of the time, children learn how to talk from adults. So yes, don't beat that's yourself right. up about daycare. Don't beat yourself up about, oh, my gosh, the first, you know, three or six months of our other child's life is now a blur to me. And, you know, I regret <laughs> that I didn't, blah, 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 whatever your regrets might be. Just put that out of your mind because you can't do anything about that and you got through it the best you could and it's not too late. He's only 18 months old or, you know, yeah. correct age, 15 months old. This is early, right. Julia. This is okay. early <laughs> compared to a lot of the kids we see. I mean, this is kind yeah. of ideal prime time and a lot of parents, again, this isn't even on their radar yet. Right. So you are doing a phenomenal job so you just need to let that guilt go. And focus on what you're going to do, you know, moving forward. Right. And just don't worry. Don't even let yourself think about that anymore because it is early. You're catching this at the perfect time. So so let's just, from from this day on, (laughs) move forward with what you're going to do. And let me just kind of interrupt really quickly and talk about, the academic blah blah, as I called it to you mm-hmm. before the show, and then then we were talking about okay, any time a baby is born before thirty seven weeks gestation, it's considered that the baby is premature. And when we are saying adjusted age and corrected age, what we're doing for parents who might not know is we're subtracting or kind of taking taking what the child you know the age that he is based on those weeks. He was born early. So if a kid is born three months early, like little Jack is 11 weeks early, if we say, you know, roughly three months, even though he's 18 months right now, we're going to correct his age for prematurity and say, really, he's only about 15 months old. And so as medical professionals and as therapists, we really depend on that corrected age to kind of give us a gauge of what a child should be doing up until about the age of 24 months because the reason we use that is if we're going to do the whole kind of catch-up growth as we anticipate that many children that were born prematurely do, all of those kinds of gains should happen theoretically in that first two years. And so if, if the kid is premature and gets to age two and 
still is having issues. We can't, we, we still say it's due to the prematurity, but we can't just let it go unchecked and unnoticed and think that he or she will catch up on his or her own. So if there's a parent listening that you've had a pediatrician kind of tell you that, and your child is too, is over that 24-month benchmark, you need to get on it and go ahead and get some services, get some formal therapy, because we don't correct for prematurity after the second birthday. Now, again, we know that children continue to have problems after that point. I was looking at some uh, to see what the research says about prematurity. And, again, all of us who are speech pathologists have sometimes, you know, nearly every kid on our caseload was premature. I mean, it's a pretty common issue now. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics says 12% of all children were born prematurely, so we see a lot of this now. And those of us who have been around for a while didn't have this kind of uh, kind of mix on our caseload, you know, 20 years ago because we didn't have the medical advances. Doctors couldn't save babies that were born so, so, so early. So now we see huge numbers of children, it seems like to us, who are coming to us with um, that diagnosis of prematurity. So let's kind of talk about what the research says about these outcomes. And again, I'm going to kind of give it to you in black and white, but then we're always going to go to the positive. (laughs) Because every time we see something that says like, you know, 40 to 50% of preemies have some sort of learning disability when they're school-aged. The flip side of that is 50 to 60% don't. And so we have to kind of go with that. Although we want to still be objective, we still need to hang onto that hope that we can get kids through this, especially if we're concerned about these. Um, developmental issues now. We all know early intervention is the way to go on that. Um, The reason that medical professionals tell us that the children have so many more issues than children who are full-term is that when they're born, think about their tiny little bodies. Well, their brain volume is, um, you know, in, in ratio to that, you know, sometimes under two pound weight. How much? How much did Jack weigh when he was born, Julia? He was only two and a half pounds. Yeah, and they say when you're looking at the research that two pounds is kind of the critical mark. That anything under two pounds, children are at significant risk for all kinds of developmental issues. And Jack things to, he didn't have any of those motor issues or any of those sensory issues or any of those cognitive issues that you've been able to identify so far. And again, he he was above that two-pound weight limit. So that's kind of an important thing for therapists to to note when we're talking with with parents about birth history. Go ahead with what you were going to say, Julia. Right. Uh, And, I mean, he certainly... Um, he's a strong little dude and tall, and he, he's actually in the 80th percentile for his actual age as far as his weight. Wow. And, yes. Yeah, and, I mean, he's tall. and um, But one thing I was going to mention as well um, with preemies is that if they have a long stay in the NICU during a time when they should be spending, you know, their third trimester bathed in 
fluid and having muted right. sounds. They're being poked and prodded and stuck with needles and things up their nose and down their throat mm-hmm. and, and uh, loud right. sounds assaulting them. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's certainly how can that not affect their little brain development? So it's just, um, exactly you know, right. yeah, all, exactly. all challenges that these little preemies face. So considering all that, I I think he's done very well. And I like I said, he seems to be very bright. So I think he'll get the language thing. And, um, you know, his dad was a late talker as a child so maybe yeah maybe there's a heredity and he was certainly no preemie he was born at 42 weeks (laughs) but uh you know so i think he will (laughs) oh boy lucky you um but uh (laughs) but um you know i i do think he'll get there but i'm not going to sit around and assume it's going to happen on its own um so that's where you come in (laughs) (laughs) you're so wise to do that and again the research tells us that if we're looking at two-year-olds who were born prematurely, 52% of them will have some kind of developmental issue. And I couldn't find a percentage on out of those kids how many have speech and language issues, but it's the most common developmental delay in all children, whether we look at children who were born term or premature or, again, just kids in general. So pretty common issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Again, with what you've pointed out about Jack, he has lots of strengths, lots of positive prognostic indicators in his favor. And so that's why, too, he has not applied for early intervention services in your state. Because he's a little behind, but not delayed enough for services. And I hate it when that happens because here's my stance as a professional. The kids who just have those milder to even kind of moderate delays, and and you have to have a pretty significant delay in most states now to qualify. But those are the kids, the kids who just, again, aren't aren't as severely affected. Those are the kids that we can really help and that we can make the most changes with. And, again, who probably have a better chance of a fantastic outcome and so I hate when states are so money strapped mm-hmm. that they make decisions like that and just, you know, totally um, won't provide those services for, yeah. for kids. And that's kind of my soapbox issue. But that, I mean, you can't do anything about that. You've already tried. Yeah. yeah. And my advice to not necessarily you, but other moms who are in that same boat, I would say get them reevaluated again. It's easier to qualify for speech therapy services after a child turns two because mm. the, the benchmarks go way up because that's when most uh, children typically developing and our, our little guys who struggled a little bit, most of those children have had their language explosions by two. And so the miles, the, you know, the, the standards go up. They should be talking mm-hmm. more and more and more. And so for kids who haven't qualified by then, that second birthday is often when they can, when they will qualify for services, even if they haven't until then. But for Jack, we want to get on this, like you're right. talking about, Julia, and do everything you can to make it um, so that you give him his very best shot at catching up now and not even needing um, That's right. Down the road. 
Yeah, and that's not a guarantee. And and just so, sure. I mean, you know that, and as therapists, right. we know right. that. And sometimes the parent will look at me like, I get to see now kids from all over the country, and, you know, parents will bring them, and they'll say, you know, you're the fourth or fifth speech pathologist I've seen, and I don't understand. I got him in services early, and mm-hmm. he's still not talking, and I don't, you know, I just was supposed to work. And, you know, that is just a harsh reality that sometimes we can do everything right and still not have what we right. want to happen for children. And, again, I'm not... I'm not saying that going to heaven with Jack, I hope it's exactly the opposite. And I've had great outcomes with preemies, especially ones that we start as early as you're starting with your little guy. And that's that's the, you know, that's the, sometimes I've seen children who are Jack's age that by three, we really do sit around and kind of marvel and think, yeah, he's the same kid because we do put those, strategies in place and that's because the the little brain has the wonderful ability to adapt and change and grow you know we refer to that as neuroplasticity mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that's what we're hoping for your little guy so <laughs> you asked me in your first email mm-hmm. you said he's not imitating ball and you felt like that was a great target for him because it is one of his all-time favorite traits, and you, you're mm-hmm. so cute. You said you mocked it for him five million times <laughs> one way, and he I'm up to six million by way. now. <laughs> well, yeah, see, and I, I don't understand it because he, all I ask for is, even if he would say, bah, or bah, yeah. you know, I would be thrilled with that. I know he yeah. could say that because he says ba 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 ba. So I'm I'm not right. understanding um why he wouldn't say it. Um you know, and like I mentioned, I had just bought Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers and thank you. I love that book already. I've been I wish I had bought the hard copy instead of the Kindle edition because I'm a hard copy kind of person apparently. But um Well, well it, yeah, I'm just gonna send you one of those. It's my thank you for being on the show. So you'll have the copy. Oh, so God, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Going. I better write myself uh, a note while you talk. <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much. I really appreciate that. But I've been backing up and starting kind of at the beginning, even though, you know, he does imitate actions. He, you know, I bang Uh two blocks together, he'll do it. Um, He'll Mm -hmm. mimic expressions like fishy face. I mean, you know, just a good variety. Um, Certain play sounds he will imitate right back, like, you know, raspberries or – but – there are certain sounds that he does not imitate. And here's an example, um, another example besides ball. He he knows what a cow is, and he knows a cow says moo. Mm-hmm. But when I say moo, he studies my face like he is intently trying to figure out how I'm saying the oo sound, mm-hmm. and he just won't say it back. I mean, his little lips will form, you, you know, they'll come together for the M part, but he just will not say moo. And I know he's motivated to say it because he can be off on the other side of the room playing with something else, 
And if I say, a cow says, he will get up and run over to me, get right in my face, and study my face as I say, moo. So now, let me just say, I don't know anything about apraxia yet. I mean, but could that be? Okay. So that's something that I should But he is. He is really young. He's really, really young. And if you've listened to the podcast where we've talked specifically mm-hmm. about apraxia, the American Speech and Hearing Association doesn't like us to really diagnose that for children who are under three. Because so right. many of these sound disorders look alike, especially right. when he's not even two yet. But let's kind of talk about what he's doing will he do the mm part for me but he won't get the vowel with it yes and Is also when he's me? when he's when he's eating he'll say mmm if he likes something um and of course you know uh-huh. he, he says mama um so the m part he can do he can imitate it but i i haven't heard him say the ooh sound since he was a baby when i think yeah. about it well, I wouldn't put all of your money on apraxia, but I wouldn't totally dismiss that. And here's the thing. Okay. It doesn't really matter what we call it right now as right. long as we're working on the right stuff. And you are going yes. to be working on the right right target because one, what I responded to Julia when she sent me that first great email and, and what I said was we need to probably back it up so that we're getting some easier early targets. And you've already talked about how you backed up and mm-hmm. started looking at play sounds. And you. And let's kind of back up for people who might be new listeners who've never heard of mm-hmm. this before. When we think about teaching a child to talk, we first have to make sure that they are capable of imitating. And imitating is just repeating what we've seen another person Say. And that's how we basically learn anything. We watch somebody else do it, and then we do it ourselves. So for many children who are late talkers, the core skill that's missing is their ability to imitate. So and I've looked at this, you know, for the last 20 years, but I've practiced and have thought, and I, I mean, I'm not the only person thinking this. Please don't mistake mm-hmm. what I'm saying. But just my kind of clinical experiences, we have to back way, 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 way up. And there's so many wonderful researchers who've done all the legwork and said you have to start all the way back with those kids at imitating actions with objects. And you said Jack can do that. You gave a great example yes. of you bang two blocks together and he can do it. And so when you introduce another, a new toy to him, he immediately wants to copy you, right, or eventually? Most of the time, yes. Um, okay. But he also, I mean, he he he's a very, you know, active, busy little boy. So if he's interested in it, yes, he will. But okay. a lot of the times he's more interested in running around finding something else that he wants to play. Yeah, right. Let me ask, Linda, before we kind of talk about this imitation piece, and you've alluded a little bit to this because you've given me some great examples already just as you're talking, but he's socially connected to you and other people, right, Julia? Very, very, he's, very much. Um, okay. In fact, okay. you know, in the name of leaving no stone unturned, um, for for maybe a month 
a while back I was thinking autism because he does like toys that spin. But I realized mm-hmm. I even joined an autism forum. <laughs> I, I mean, I just I want to know as early as possible right. so I can help him. But honestly, I mean, the things that I was reading about that just really don't apply to him. Like, I mean, yeah, he'll spin a toy, but immediately he he looks at me to make sure I saw it. Like, Mama, did you see that? Or, you know, um, I mean, the interaction is so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The interaction is so important to him. He, He can play by himself, but he prefers me or someone else to be with him you know, engaged with him, and, um, I mean, he's a social little boy. Okay, great. So, well, okay, so, and we always have to start with kind of ruling things out. So he's mm-hmm. got a good social connection with you. He makes consistent eye contact, right? Very much so, all the time, and yes. Good. And he's, is he using some gestures to get your attention? Is he pointing to what he wants? Is he kind of pulling yes. you if he wants your attention? Okay. Yes, yes. Is he waving yes. Waves in imitation, but not as bye-bye yet. And um, that's kind of one thing I was thinking to ask you about. Um, It seems that he's not getting the the symbolic nature of of gestures. Um, Even pointing, he loves pointing at things. And if I ask him, do you want the milk or the oatmeal, he'll look back and forth and decide, and then he'll point to the one he wants. But he insists on putting that little finger right on the object instead of just pointing at it. So I'm thinking, hmm, is that because he's not getting that you don't have to actually touch it? Um, Right. Or is that just his, I'm going to take life by the horns kind of way? (laughs) Which is totally Jack, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Is he pointing to pictures in books for awareness? Yeah. Have you seen him? I see yeah. before. Okay. And yeah, he's he been pointing at pictures. Little... Is he what? Okay. Is he doing any other little gestures like high five? Will he play that game with you? Does he yep, he does that? high five. Um, and, you know, this is an interesting thing um, about, I guess you would call it leading when a toddler takes your, you know, big magic hands um, I was reading some stuff you've written about that, but here's the thing. He doesn't do that. He does that with me, but it's not to do something that he cannot do. It's like, um, for example, we have a, a little tickle game that I came up with where my hands start in a certain hand position, and when he wants to play that little tickle game, he'll put my hands together in that position and kind of start laughing and, you know, getting excited about being tickled. Um, so it's it's not, yeah, it's not to get me to, you know, operate a toy that he can't operate. It's um, He's, He can't say, Mama, do that great game that we always like to play. But he's letting <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. Does he clap? Uh, yes. Okay. And will he clap on his own? Like if he hears um, other people clapping? No, he does not do that yet. Will he clap if he when does he clap? When I clap and kind of indicate to and usually I'll have to kind of get him started clapping. Um uh-huh. and he also claps on my hand. So you know, yeah. almost like giving me a high five but 
a number of times, so it's more like clapping. Um, okay. So, so there again, well, it's not really so, because he's excited about having done something. It's he likes to make noise, and I, I don't know. Yeah, and without seeing him, I mean, I could ask you 30 more questions about it, but honestly, without looking at him, I wouldn't know, you know, what I'm saying. I wouldn't know which one it would be without really, really looking at him. Okay, so we've uncovered, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be one of two things with these gestures. It could be that, like what you said, gosh, I just wonder if he can't make that jump to symbolic communication Mm -hmm. yet, meaning... I don't mm-hmm. really, I can wave my arm, but I haven't really linked it with that means I'm saying bye. And again, right. that could be part of it. Some of it, or on the other hand, it could be the motor planning part of that, meaning that he may very well want to wave, but he can't really get the signal from his little brain to his little hand. And motor planning can affect children. It can affect um, their whole little bodies, meaning that mm-hmm. they can do a lot of motor actions that are really familiar and well rehearsed. But right. new or more complex motor movements, they would have difficulty with. Now, some children can do every kind of gross motor thing in the world, but they only have motor planning issues when it comes to fine motor tasks. Some children can do mm-hmm. all the gross and fine motor tasks, but it's just really speech that's the hardest part. And speech really yeah. is the ultimate fine motor task. Mm-hmm. So it could be, and, you know, apraxia, that is a motor planning issue. So it mm-hmm. could be that, but, again, mm-hmm. we don't really know yet because we don't have enough evidence to go. You know, and you're saying we don't necessarily... And we don't necessarily need to know yet as long as we're right. working on kind of the as long the as problem. Addressing, yeah, as long as as long as we're addressing now some therapists really argue with that and they say, No, you have to know what you're treating or you won't use the right treatment methods. Well see, if that's true that. then you Yeah, you you wouldn't be able to treat autistic children until they are two or you know, old enough to have a diagnosis right. and same with apraxia. Right. Right. Hmm. So the stuff, the stuff that we're that I use, and that you know, other speech pathologists who rely on evidence-based practice, research tells us these kinds of strategies that are based on acquiring social skills as the foundation for communication and looking at receptive language or what he understands, and then making all of that expressive stuff contingent upon those other earlier connections they've made, that's the right way to do it, regardless of what the diagnosis is. So you don't mm-hmm. have to really worry so much about the diagnosis piece if you're doing the right kinds of intervention. And, again, I know that doesn't always make sense to people, but I promise it works. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. enough for me. Yeah. Okay, and let me ask you this. So we've talked kind of about his, he's socially connected, but we think that there's some problems kind of making that jump to gestures. Let's talk about his receptive language for a minute, Julia. Will he follow some really basic commands for you? Go get your shoes, give me your cup, where's your ball? Will he do all of that? Well, see, that's another thing. And I I know there's probably an attention component to this because when Mm -hmm. he wants to, like if I tell him to turn on the light or turn off the light, um, you know, 
he he kind of looks toward the light switch, and I'll hold him up, and he'll turn the light off. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure if how much of it is having that visual cue of the light switch. Um, right. How much is language-based versus routine-based. Yeah. 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 But if I tell him, if he's playing with something and I say, go to your room and get your ball, he's not going to do that. I can tell you. I mean, that yeah. that would not happen. Um, and on the receptive language front, you know, I when he was a baby, I, every time I changed his diaper, I would work with, you know, little body parts, hands and tummy and feet and nose and eyes and and um he was able to identify them um way before he was 12 months i mean he he wasn't before he was pointing he would touch the the part that i asked him to name or or, you know ask for well then i kind of stopped doing that and now i don't know if he's forgotten what all those are but um he he really doesn't consistently identify the right thing. I mean, he no longer points, to, and maybe I just need to start working on that again. Um, I would double you know. down on that. And receptive language, here's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. My first response was when you said to me, why won't he imitate the word ball? And I said, because mm-hmm. for whatever reason, he still really may not have consistently linked meaning with mm-hmm. that and if he doesn't yes. really follow commands like that and again we're looking at him as a 15 month old 15 month olds aren't supposed to do every single thing you say they're not supposed to know every word in the dictionary that's not yeah. what i'm saying but we mm-hmm. really need to get him following some directions and again these mm-hmm. would be really simple things related to things he loves and his daily routines. And if he loves right. the ball, well before he can say ball, he should be able to, excuse me, get the ball when you say it. And really, right. I understand the attention piece, but even really busy kids, when you say, where's your ball? Let's play ball. Go get ball. They mm-hmm. should be able to sometimes, redirect that attention so that you know, oh, my goodness, he understands ball. And if you can't really say definitively, yes, I know he understands that, that's where we need to spend most of our time working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the receptive piece, anything that he looks like he's kind of forgotten or Mm -hmm. he doesn't, that, that tells me, that he didn't really own that word. And, again, it is really easy to blame it on, oh, he's busy and he doesn't want to do it right now, choosing not to yeah. do it. And so many times that really masks what's really, really going on, which is that underlying receptive language piece. And so, yeah. again, I haven't seen Jack, but I've, just from what you're saying, that's probably where I would double down on right now. Yes. Having him really understand and really link meaning. And it's interesting to me, too, that you said you started to kind of question, does he understand what waving means, the the symbolic Mm -hmm. part? And language, words are symbols. And so when we have a kid that doesn't really make that leap yet, 
Mm-hmm. That really tells us, gosh, learning how to talk is going to be a problem because he right. doesn't get it yet. He doesn't understand, you know, what those words are. So what I would, and again, this is about me seeing him. I could spend 10 minutes with you guys and say, oh, my goodness, that was, that was just Oh, he's fine. But, you know, again, just from what you're telling me, mm-hmm. and you, you, I mean, I can tell you're an intelligent, educated mom, that <laughs> thing, that would be what I would be more concerned about at this point than yes. what he's saying. Yeah. And, so and, and I, okay, go ahead. What I was going to say, that's exactly kind of where I was leaning um, the not being able to say moo part, the ooh sound, that that yeah. it seems like a separate concern that's also kind of alarming to me. But the symbolic piece, I know that they have to have cause and effect, they have to have object permanence uh-huh. and uh-huh. and problem solving. And I I mean, again, I, I I don't have a PhD in this, so but from my you don't kind need of a PhD in it. Well, you don't need a PhD. From, <laughs> but from my semi-educated mommy's um, perspective, it seems like, he, I mean, he got object permanence pretty early on um, yes. and it certainly cause and effect. And he, I, I've definitely yes. seen him do problem solving. So what yes. else need, what, do, what else do I need to do so that he gets the symbolic nature of language? Okay, it's going to be learning how to do his part in little games is the next step that you want to do. And you already have Teach Me to Play with you, right? Yes. That book. Okay. Yes. So it's understanding in little games. Like you said, that tickle game. He he understands that, and he wants you to do your part in that. What other little right. routines that he, know, he knows? Give me five. He mm-hmm. knows that, right? What other yes. little games will he do? Oh goodness! Um, he, I, I will throw him on our bed with, into a mass of pillows, and he knows. Um, in that context, I mean, I use one, two, three to start out a lot of different things, but he knows he's about to fly through the air when you know Hi. he's right next to our bed, and I'm counting off one, two, three, we. Um, right. I mean, and have and you had him kind of do a little part to get him to do the next part of the game, like like in a game like, does he play a game like so big where he raises his arms up for so big, or does he play a little game like um, where he does any little hand motions or any well, other little? Well, I mean, yeah, the I mean, certainly all the early baby social games, I mean, peekaboo and pat-a-cake. Um, peekaboo, he's really kind of tracked along where he should be, I mean, Certainly, and I, I don't really play this so much with him anymore because he's just mastered it. Um, you know, if I throw something over his head, um, you know, he'll start giggling and pull pull it off his head, and I'll say boo. Um, he never uh-huh. says boo back to me, so maybe we should revisit yeah. that one. Um, <laughs> and then does he you know, try to cover you up or try to cover the baby up to play peek Yep, he, yep, he has done that. Good, good. He has done that. All right. Um, he has never done it with a little teddy bear or anything. Um, that's the other thing, pretend play. I guess until I found you, I just assumed that 
all children would automatically, like if I gave a baby a toy car, they would automatically run it along the floor and say vroom, vroom or something. But he, you know, he has, I realized a few months ago, he just hasn't really ever seen another child do that, I don't think. So I've been trying to work with him on, you know, playing cars and and, um, feeding his little teddy bear fake food and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and he's getting that. Like he will now hold the spoon up to me um, to have me pretend to eat. Um, So he's getting it, but it's like the first few times I did it, he looked at me just like, what are you doing? And, you know, tried to eat the fake banana and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I think he's eating the fake banana. That's normal. I mean, that's mm-hmm. normal, and a lot of kids really do have to see something modeled. And listen, you are going to be a much better playmate for him than any other kid. He really doesn't have to be around other kids to learn these things. Most kids learn these kinds of things from mom and dad. So Yeah. Yeah, you're Well, that's good to know. I mean, I, yeah, and, yeah, and I still want him to play with other kids, but, sure, you know, but sure. that's I'm good to know, though. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm just saying kind of take that out of the equation. Him not going to daycare or being around other kids all the time isn't the reason that these things aren't coming along. It's because he was born yeah. early. His yeah. brain, you know, is still kind of trying to play catch-up. So that mm-hmm. that's why these things are going on. It's not lack of exposure. And anything that yeah. he could learn from another kid, he really could learn from you. And so, especially at his age, you know. And so, and any other parent listening, you, if anybody has made you feel guilty about your decision to be a stay-at-home parent, I mean, my goodness, we had stay-at-home mommies who did nothing but raise children for centuries. And I don't. Oh, know. I know. You know, <laughs> don't worry. The, the only person you about that. <laughs> the only person who's ever made me feel guilty about any of this is me. <laughs> I'm yeah, the worst know. about, I'm, you know, yeah, it's yeah, kind of the old perfectionism in me or something. But I, I just, you know, I, I want to give him yeah. the best chance. And Sure you do. Anyway. Sure you do. Okay, so let's talk about this is what I would do with him. Have you ever tried to introduce any kind of simple sign language with him? Yes, I have. And oh, that's yeah. the other thing. I started with just, well, I started with more and all done and really just kind of decided just to focus on more. And I started that probably five months ago, and maybe I'm not doing it enough times during the day. And uh, But he just, well, at first... I just modeled it, modeled it, modeled it when I would say more and, you know, give him another bite. And then I started um, doing hand over hand to get him to do it. And, oh, my goodness, he resisted that for the longest time. He would jerk his hands away like, what are you doing to me? And um, now he'll let let me do that, but he has never spontaneously signed more. And I I read somewhere that uh, something about, you know, doing it 50, 100 times a day or something, and I'm I'm nowhere near that. So I thought maybe I should get um, one of his little, you know, like a yogurt melts or something that he really likes and doesn't get to have very often and just sit there every day for a session and just practice it. That's um, exactly what you should do. Okay. <laughs> so should. why haven't I done that yet? <laughs> no. 
you know, really, and you're going to use the tell him, show him, help him model. You're going to show mm-hmm. him how to sign mm-hmm. more, and then you're going to help him. But you don't want him to become overly dependent on him, on you doing it for him. And he does sound like mm-hmm. a little guy that either A, would resist it, or B, would just kind of throw his hands up like you do it, Mom. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So you really want him highly motivated. And that's, you know, you could introduce the sign for more when you're playing your little games. Mm -hmm. You're playing like your one, two, three games that he really loves. Some kids Mm -hmm. will do it for food if they're motivated, especially by a special treat that they don't get very often. But some Mm -hmm. kids really need that preferred movement game. So you could Mm -hmm. introduce it with that. The other thing I would really do is double down on that trying to get him to really imitate those bigger body movements mm-hmm. in the context of play. So that if you're doing something like you're playing with him on the bed and you lift your arms up and do, ah, boom, and slam your hands mm-hmm. down on the bed. Will he copy a game like that? Well, that's a great question. And I only, for some reason, out of all the reading I've done of your materials, um, I only kind of recently heard you talking about that in a podcast and I need to uh-huh. I, that's on, kind of on my mental list of new games to try with him so uh-huh. um yeah I'm I'm not sure if he'll imitate I mean part of me thinks he will because he's so he loves movement and yeah yes 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 but again he doesn't imitate things that I would think he would so I'm just going to have to try try to start playing yeah. that with them and see. I want you to back up to that kind of level. And so if you're looking mm-hmm. at that building verbalization and toddlers, that back at level two with kinds of big body movements, like if you were marching across the room mm-hmm. and he try to do a little marching thing with you, do you would he copy that? Do you um, some things he does. um Gosh, I'm trying to, you know, and I marching is something, unfortunately, I haven't done any of with him, I don't think. It's um, okay. It's okay. Let me just give you some ideas. I want you to just back way up. Yeah. And he's imitating actions with toys, so I want mm-hmm. you to move on to that next little piece, which is getting him to really imitate some bigger body movements with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And join in some little things like that, and that's where all your social games are going to be important, too. And I want you really playing those games in the same way basically Mm -hmm. every day and I want you to come up with I want you to make what you say really really consistent and that's creating a verbal routine so that Mm -hmm. you're going to say it and after you've played it with them 50 times you'll pause so that like Mm -hmm. it's your little game when you're counting you've got to do one two and then kind of do a gasp or a little pause and look at him. Like, right. It's your turn to fill in. And have exactly. you heard him pop out any little words in that context? No. And, see, that's another thing. I, You know, this cow thing is one of those several things that I've been right. working on with him lately. Right. And uh-huh. when I say a cow says, I mean, I know he's focused on me when any time I say that, no matter what he's doing, and I'll pause, and I'll kind of nod and wait for him. Uh-huh. And, yeah. you know, the, but the most he has done is to put his little lips together. I mean, he he yeah. just won't come okay. out with he, it on his own. Yeah. 
And motor planning might very well be part of what's going on, but to me, just based on what you're saying, it may not be all that's going on. So we have to really, really double down on that receptive language piece where we're making sure he really understands. And, again, not, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of something, but just little things like, where are your shoes? Find your shoes or show mommy your belly or, you know, any of those little baby games. Back up and focus on those. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where's daddy so that he would run through the house to find daddy? You know, mm-hmm. and again with Jack, if you could involve a movement piece to that, where you're yes. running or you know doing something like that, that would make him more likely to want to engage in that. So I really want you to focus on that receptive language piece. I want you to really look back at those social games and come up mm-hmm. with what part of this game can be his part. What part does he have to do to continue the game? Because that's going to be the whole gestural symbolic piece and that's kind of right. sounds like where your brain kind of is you know yeah. and I think that his receptive language skills may be there but he just somehow doesn't know how to respond you know yeah. when you're yeah. asking him these things and again that's due to the prematurity you know his, right. he's just that that's kind of how he's wired and so that yeah probably where I would spend you know, talking is important, but understanding what somebody is saying and understanding what your part is of that, even if it's not a word yet, is mm-hmm. more important than talking at this point for Jack, for where right, he is developmentally. Right. And, and so right. you've got to kind of fill in those little gaps. Now, building verbal imitation in toddlers, again, I'm going to send that to you, but I want you to focus way back instead of, you know, saying words, when you look at that, mm-hmm. it's all the way up at level six. And again, this is this is my little system. Any anybody else's therapy programming is going to call it all different stuff. Sure. But, you know, when you just yeah. kind of look at that whole imitation process, learning how to you know make your little body do a part of a social routine or a, right. a, use a gesture, always mm-hmm. comes before words. It always Absolutely. does. And so yeah. that's the part where he's where he's not as consistent as he would need to be. So that's, you know, where you're going to fill in those little gaps. And then, like you said, then moving on to those little places, even things that aren't really real words yet. Like, you know, animal mm-hmm. sounds, we can spell those. Those are, those are words. You know, we can write M-O-O for moo. But even things like panting like a dog. Or mm-hmm. fake sneezing, or fake coughing, or oh yeah, and he will do that. We will we'll have whole fake cough conversations back and forth. Um, you know, so he he Good. does imitate things that he wants to imitate. But um, okay. wow, you've given me so much to um, between all this and and um, the materials of yours. I I just cannot thank you enough and. I'm so excited to go have playtime with him this afternoon and um, try some of these new ideas. Well, you were such a great mom, Julia. And listen, here's the thing, too. If he isn't coming along with these things, you keep knocking down the door. He's a psychologist who you think can help you. Because I can give you all these ideas, and you're, you're giving me wonderful answers but the best thing for him, and again, that's not saying that you're not going to be terrific at this, but get eyes on him, especially if Absolutely. he's not by his 
birthday, by his second birthday, if he is not really coming along, pester somebody until they will see him, and then they can give you hands-on, concrete ideas, not based on these questions over the phone, but what they're actually seeing him do. But in the meantime, you've got some good tools. You've got a great head on your shoulders. You are ultra-committed to him and his progress. So I just I just wish you the best of luck. But I really want oh. to wrap it up a little bit and fill in those gaps yeah. really, really quickly before you expect him to talk. Yes, yes. Oh, thank you so much. So much great food for thought. And I am going to be diligent about all this, and I'll email you an update in a few months. And, um, That'd be great. I'd love you, to have you back on the show. Yeah, you can come uh, back and tell everybody how he's doing. We would love to hear that. Oh, uh, well, I will definitely update you then. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh, you're welcome, and I want you to send me your address via email so I can get that hard copy of that book out to you, okay? I sure will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. You've been wonderful, Julia. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. You too. All right, we're wrapping it up for this week. Next week is Labor Day. I am not going to work on Monday. I'm going to enjoy the holiday with my family, and I wish you all wonderful holidays as well, and we'll pick back up this second Monday. In September, have a great couple of weeks. Bye-bye.